Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Hashtag Houston HealthCast, a podcast powered by Houston HealthCare as part of our Hashtag Houston Healthy initiative. On Hashtag Houston HealthCast, my guests and I endeavor to provide the people of Houston County, Georgia, and beyond healthcare news, advice, and updates so they can live a more Hashtag Houston Healthy lifestyle. On this episode, we'll be discussing bariatric surgery, what it is, what a typical bariatric surgery looks like from beginning to end, who needs bariatric surgery, and what role those surgeries play in the health of our community. Joining me today is Dr. Danny Vaughn, one of our surgeons here at Houston Healthcare. How are you doing today, Dr. Vaughn? Great. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on the podcast today. Um, so let's introduce you to our audience a bit before we get too far into the topic of our discussion today. Um, how long have you been a surgeon? I've been in practice here in Middle Georgia for 11 years. Okay. That's, that's a long time. How many of those years uh, have you spent working with Houston Healthcare? About the last three or four years. About the last three or four. Um, so what, what made you choose surgery as a, as a specialization? Well, um, I don't know. I kind of uh, joke with people a lot. Uh, I, I think maybe I watched too many MASH episodes as a kid. I mean, uh, <laughs> it's really something I kind of wanted to do since I was in middle to high school. So mm-hmm. it's it's kind of always been a goal of mine. Yeah. Any, any um, defining moments that you can point to or any people that inspired you? Not really... In my, in my years, in my childhood, I don't, I wouldn't really say so. I mean, I think I just really liked science and, and liked working with my hands and, um, you know, thought being a doctor would be really awesome. And it is. Um, And as I got older, I mean, nothing else really piqued my interest. So I kind of carried on toward that career path. Just kind of made to be, made to be a doctor. I I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So let's talk a little bit about the topic at hand. Obesity is one of the greatest epidemics we face in our community and our country at large. Per the CDC, four in every 10 American adults are obese, and the rates of obesity have risen drastically in the last few decades. Uh, It is a complex disease with many contributing factors, um, and it can lead to a variety of other disease states such as diabetes, heart disease, high blood pressure, sleep apnea, osteoarthritis, the list goes on and on. Um, every patient is different and there's a wide spectrum of treatment options available to aid in the treatment of obesity. And one of the growing in popularity is bariatric surgery, also known as metabolic surgery. Dr. Vaughn, can you explain to our listeners what it means when you hear the phrase bariatric surgery? Well, I mean, you know, uh, some form of bariatric surgery has been performed in the United States and the world, you know, for, you know, probably over 50 years. I mean, I think that the first some of the first operations for this were being done in the seventies at least. Um, and you know, there have been several iterations of some form of bariatric surgery that have been performed with varying degrees of success, uh, since then. Um, you know, uh, but the bottom line is there, it is a bariatric surgery. It's a surgery that's performed on the gastrointestinal tract. And the goal is to either, decrease the amount of food that you can eat or decrease the absorption of food by your small intestines. And many of them have some variation of both in them. Okay. It's surprising to hear that there's been bariatric surgeries going on since as far back as the seventies. I'm sure that they've been streamlined since then. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the numbers of surgeries, obviously there weren't that many being performed back then. I mean, sure. because you know, obesity wasn't as much of a problem as it is today, but 
you know, over the last 20 years, I mean, they're really getting to be a lot of these operations performed in the United States. I mean, around 180 to 200,000 surgeries per year in America for the past few years has kind of been the going rate. Uh, so there's a lot of these operations being performed and um, it's, they're getting to be more. And uh, so it's something that, you know, patients and the public are going to be more exposed to because it's getting to be more of a problem in America, the problem of obesity, obviously. Sure. Um, so what patient normally requires bariatric surgery? Obviously, uh, 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 the first qualifier is that you have to be obese. Is there other things that attribute to that? Is there different levels of obesity? Kind of, kind of why does a patient uh, get to that point where they require bariatric surgery? Right. So probably the easiest way to answer that question is just kind of, is to just kind of go over the criteria that make you a candidate for bariatric surgery. Um, and most of that is based on your body mass index. Um, you know, body mass index is basically a number that takes into account your height as well as your weight and kind of gives you a, a score. Um, you know, the kind of more normal range of body mass index is in the 20 to 25 range. Um, but uh, if you are a candidate for surgery, you're kind of getting more to the 35 and higher body mass index range. Um, so when a patient comes in, uh, you know, or, or has interest in bariatric surgery, the, the first thing is they kind of have to meet that criteria, be over a 35 body mass index. And, you know, you asked about other criteria. I mean, the, the body mass index is the main criteria, but if you have diseases such as, you know, diabetes is a big one. I mean, if you're a diabetic, you know, and you're over a 35 body mass index, it's something you should consider. It could actually help your diabetes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, sometimes patients that have severe reflux that are over um, 35 to 40 body mass index, bariatric surgery might be something they want to consider. You know, other conditions such as you know, sleep apnea is a, is a really big one. Um, one of the most common reasons we have sleep apnea is we're overweight. And um, that's one of the, the conditions that I actually see improved a lot with bariatric surgery. Um, so, uh, and, you know, a host of other things. I mean, most, but a lot of medical conditions can actually be improved with losing weight. Okay. Uh, so, with that in mind, what are the most common types of bariatric surgery? From what I understand, it's kind of an umbrella term that covers multiple different types of surgery. Um, and are there more common ones than others? Yes. Okay. Um, so the, the, I would say in America, now worldwide is a little different, but in America, there are four bariatric surgeries that are actually being performed with some regularity. Um, one is the Roux-en-Y gastric bypass. Second is the sleeve gastrectomy. So the third and fourth options are laparoscopic adjustable gastric banding and duodenal switch. Those last two I'm just mentioning for completeness sake, they are really rarely performed in the United States nowadays. Um, but really what I think we should focus on are gastric bypass and sleeve gastrectomy. Um, sleeve gastrectomy, that's about 60% of all weight loss surgeries performed in America. Um, gastric bypass is around 30% of all weight loss surgeries being performed. The last 10% is some variation of revisional or patients having a second bariatric surgery or duodenal switch or lap banding. Okay. Um, so 
the the gastric bypass and the um, gastric sleeve. What are the two differences between those? So the 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 so to start with, the gastric bypass is actually the operation that's been around for the longest. I mean, it's been performed for many years. Um, basically, what you do in that operation is you divide the upper probably you know twenty percent of the stomach from the lower portion of the stomach, and you bring the small intestines up and connect it to that gastric pouch at the upper part of the stomach. So basically, and it, and that's where they got the name gastric bypass. I mean, you're bypassing the lower part of the stomach. Um, so it does make your stomach, the part of your stomach that food goes into much smaller. So mm-hmm. it decreases the amount of food that you can eat. But because you're rerouting the small intestines, it actually causes some of your nutrients to not be absorbed or your calories to not be absorbed. So it affects both the amount of food that you can eat and the absorption of the food that you can eat. Okay. Um, the sleeve gastrectomy, basically what's being done in that operation um, is you're taking a stapler and removing about 75% of the stomach. Um, so whereas the stomach is kind of more oval shaped, oblong oval shaped, um, it's being transformed into the size of a banana. Um, so that's kind of where they got the term sleeve. I mean, you mm-hmm. basically, the, the, the stomach after the operation kind of looks like a sleeve. Um, so about, and about 75% of the stomach is actually taken out and removed. The good thing about that operation is you don't reroute any of the small intestines. It's just an operation on the stomach. So, but the bad part of that is you don't get quite the weight loss that you get with the gastric bypass. So I would say the gastric bypass is probably a more powerful operation for weight loss, but the sleeve is a great option, uh, partly because it's a little more simple. Right. So when someone refers to a lap band, is that a gastric bypass or a gastric sleeve or one of the other kinds? A lap, a lap band is a totally different operation. Okay. It's, it's one of the ones I mentioned earlier. Um, mm-hmm. Basically with a lap band, you're, you're taking this uh, device and placing it around the upper part of the stomach. Um, they did all, you know, those came out in the early 90s. They kind of got mm-hmm. popular in America. Um, and, you know, we did a lot of them. Over the years, uh, they've kind of been found to be not as effective as we would like. Right. And so, you know, as with many operations or medical procedures, I mean, you've kind of, you know, we've we've kind of, discovered some of the problems with them sure. and uh, it hasn't been quite as effective as we would have liked. So that has gone down significantly as far as the numbers of operations being performed in America. I would say the last data I looked at l- around 1% of all bariatric surgeries in America are lap bands. Okay. So not very many. Right. Um, so when you're, you're about to take on a patient and they require bariatric surgery, what makes it more likely for them to have a gastric bypass versus a gastric sleeve? What what kind of qualifications go into making that decision between those two? Right. Well, I mean, and the, the short answer is it depends. Uh, the long answer is forthcoming. I mean, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of it is patient choice. Um, I'd say at least half of patients, you know, kind of do their research on it and, and develop an opinion as to which one they prefer. And I ask them what they prefer. Um, and, you know, they may say sleeve or gastric bypass, and and most of the time I'm able to say, yeah, that sounds fine. I don't I don't see what the problem would be there. But the other half of the time, a patient may have some medical condition or something about their overall health that makes one of the operations less of a good idea. Okay. Um, so I'll give you an example. So 
you know, a patient that comes in, let's say a patient's 45 body mass index, and they come in and they, they tell me they really want to sleep. And so I started asking them about their medical issues. And, you know, one of the questions I ask is, do you have reflux or heartburn? And they tell me, yes, doc. I mean, I have really bad reflux. Uh, it keeps me awake at night. I'm on, you know, two pills a day for my reflux, and it doesn't really control my symptoms. Well, that's a patient that a sleeve is not a good idea for. Um, one of the side effects of a sleeve is that sometimes it can make your make you have reflux. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it can actually make your reflux worse. So if I have a patient that you know already has pretty bad reflux, I don't think doing an operation that could potentially make their reflux worse is a great idea. So I would counsel that patient that a gastric bypass would be the best option for them because of this medical condition that they mm-hmm. have. Um, actually, gastric bypass can actually be a really good operation to improve reflux symptoms. So that's just one example. Um, sometimes patients come in and their their body mass index is, you know, on the higher end of the spectrum. I mean, you got somebody with a 60 to 65 body mass index and they, they're more interested in a sleeve. Well, my response to that is, I mean, a sleeve is better than nothing, but, you know, I mentioned earlier in the in the show that gastric bypass is really more of a powerful mm-hmm. operation for weight loss. So you might want to consider the gastric bypass because the amount of weight you need to lose to get to a more healthy weight is higher. Okay. Yeah. So so those are just a couple of examples where one versus the other might be a better idea. Um, probably a third. I'll kind of be brief with this, but um, if you're a diabetic, uh, the research has kind of shown the gastric bypass is probably a better operation for diabetics because the patients are more likely to get off their diabetes meds with the bypass versus the sleeve. Makes sense. So makes sense. And it's, and it's interesting to me that there's a conversation that happens between you and a patient where, you know, it could be, you know, that they want one more than the other. And that's something that's taken into account rather than what is necessarily best for them. Um, and you kind of advise them on which one right. to go with. Well, well, I mean, I, you know, I just want to say in the, in the end, this is their body and their yeah, decision. Yeah. I mean, my, I feel like my job is, is to try to help them make a good decision. Yeah. Um, but the last thing I want to do is, is tell a patient that you have to have this, even mm-hmm. though you have to have operation A, even though you want operation B when, you know, I want them to be a, I want them to help make that decision and be sure. comfortable with that decision. Sure. Cause in the end it's, it's the patient having the operation. Um, but on the other end of that, like I, I can't knowingly do something that I think is going to hurt them. Sure. You know, and sometimes I've had to tell patients, I know you want operation a, but I'm not doing it because yeah. it's going to make you worse off. Absolutely. So absolutely makes perfect sense. Um, so we talk a lot about, um, the Da Vinci surgical system, the robotic surgery that we do. We had uh, Dr. Narmarty on for a previous um, uh, podcast to discuss uh, robotic surgery. Sure. Um, so is this uh, surgery, uh, the bariatric surgeries that you do, are they commonly done robotically? They're very commonly done robotically. Um, you know, I 11 years ago, I was doing all of these laparoscopically. But about four, three or four years ago, I kind of made the jump and started doing all of my bariatric surgery robotically, and it has made a big difference. Um, I think it's, I think patients are getting a better operation. I feel like a safer operation. Mm-hmm. Um, for me personally, um, it has uh, increased or made some of the revisional or redo surgeries uh, that are required sometimes safer and easier. Um, 
so I'm a huge proponent of the robot. I think it uh, is is great for surgery, and I think we're going to see a lot more of it going forward over the next 10 to 20 years. Absolutely. Good to hear. Um, so from a surgeon's perspective, what does a typical bariatric surgery look like from start to finish? You're scrubbing up, you're ready to go in, and uh, you're you're done with the, with the operation, successful operation. Okay, so... Uh... Prior to that operation, I mean, the, the, the patient has gone through a very exhaustive, probably six-month process getting ready mm-hmm. for it. So, I mean, I, I just want everybody to understand this is not something that you make a decision that you, you want to have surgery and then you come see the doctor and then the next week you're on the operating room table. It doesn't work that way. It's, sure. a, it's a long process. There's a lot of education uh, that goes into it. So by the time the patient gets to surgery, they are very prepped and know what they're getting into and know what to do after surgery. So, but on the day of surgery, patients come in, um, they typically would have been, um, you know, on a diet for two weeks prior to surgery, a special diet we put them on to, to, you know, help induce some rapid weight loss. That really helps with shrinking the liver. That's kind of why we do that. But, um, we, you know, patient goes back to the operating room, is put to sleep. Um, we uh, basically place these small, what we call trocars. They're basically little little tubes that are about eight millimeters in diameter. You know, five of those go in. And so it's five small incisions. And um, the abdomen is insufflated with gas, uh, carbon dioxide. And we're able to put a camera in through one of the trocars to look at the abdomen and then we, you know, dock the robot and um, the, the, through the trocars are these little graspers and utensils that allow us to perform the operation. A sleeve takes about an hour to do. Gastric bypass, about two hours usually. Um, once the surgery is done, um, you know, patient wakes up, goes to the recovery room. Uh, they stay in the hospital overnight. Uh, so about 80% of patients go home the next day after this. Okay. Um, and after surgery, there's about a uh, there's a period of two weeks that the patient has to be on a liquid diet. So that's kind of something that you know is an adjustment. Um, and um, but but usually patients do really well with it. I mean, um, you know, patients will have some nausea for the first evening after surgery. Everybody has that, so that's kind of to be expected. But uh, usually the next day, patients are doing pretty well and ready to go home. Um, we actually looked at this in our practice as far as pain after surgery. Um, we did a little kind of project on this, and uh, most patients took less than 10 pain pills after surgery. That's so, good. So, it's, yeah, we were pretty impressed with that. Yeah, it's excellent. Um, so are there any um, common complications? Obviously, most of your surgeries go well. Everybody's happy. There's not a, any hitch in the road. But are there any hitches in the road that you see more frequently? Uh, um, there, there's... Definitely. I mean, every surgery that you have has potential complications. Right. Um, some are more common than others. Fortunately, in bariatric surgery, the really devastating complications are super rare. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, you know, some of the common complications that you see, um, you know, just like either with sleeve or gastric bypass. I mean, sometimes, you know, maybe five to 10 percent of patients just have nausea that kind of lingers for a few days, maybe even a couple of weeks after surgery. Um, and that's something we kind of have to deal with. Sometimes Sometimes patients have to stay in the hospital an extra couple of days because of that. Um, sometimes we have to give patients IV fluids in an outpatient setting because of that. But uh, that's something that 
again, most patients don't have that, but five to ten percent of patients may have some varying form, some variation of that. Um, you know, uh, with the sleeve, I mentioned earlier reflux being a side effect. I mean, that's something that about fifteen percent of patients may experience. Uh, you know, after having that operation. Um, with the gastric bypass, there's about a 5% chance over the course of your lifetime of developing an ulcer, um, in the, in the stomach. Uh, that's something that, you know, we counsel patients on extensively. And if it comes up, we deal with it. Um, for both operations, there is a risk of vitamin deficiencies. And, um, but the issue with that is after these surgeries, you're you're required to be on special vitamins forever after this. And the reason we do that is is to prevent vitamin deficiencies. So, and after surgery, you know, uh, several times during the first year and every year after that, we send you for lab work to check all your vitamin levels. So I tell patients commonly, like, hey, if you take your vitamins like we recommend and you get your lab work checked like we recommend, like, you're not going to run into problems because if you have a vitamin deficiency, mm-hmm. we're going to address it. The problem is when patients just kind of say, no, I don't want to take these or I don't want to go back to my doctor and get my lab work checked. When when you do that, that puts you at higher risk. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Uh, it's interesting that they um, have to take multivitamins after after they get the, and, the, and I don't think that's something that's commonly known or understood about post-op um, is that they have to be on vitamins. Right, so. right. It, well, it's it's a good thing to, to discuss. I mean, uh, they, it you know, I think, I mean, in America nowadays, I think we should all take a multivitamin. Sure. I mean, it's a good practice. But after bariatric surgery, it's not just Centrum multivitamins. I mean, mm-hmm. there there's several companies out there that make vitamins specific for patients that have had bariatric surgery. So, and that and something like that would be what we recommend. Okay, makes sense. Um, so now that we've kind of covered the basics from a clinical view, I know that many of our listeners out there might be going in for this surgery. Um, are curious about a few things from the perspective of a patient. Um, to that end, um, I'm going to ask you a few frequently asked questions about bariatric surgery. Sure. So um, to start off, um, you kind of talked a little bit about um, going on a diet beforehand. Um, what does that diet kind of look like from, from a general perspective? Well, I mean, so there's, there's a couple of different things. Um, you know, when I see the patient at their initial consultation, One of the things that insurance companies require is for patients to do six months of medically supervised dieting with a dietitian. So they have to go through that process first. And, you know, my dietitian will see the patient and, you know, try to get them on a diet. And, you know, that is generally more of a, you know, know, watching your calories, you know, eating balanced meals, you know, getting vegetables and things in your diet. I mean, just just good dietary advice. Um, But what I mentioned earlier was the two-week preoperative diet. That's Mm -hmm. a little different. I mean, that is a very low-calorie, high-protein diet uh, that really, you know, the goal of that is, you know, in our, you know, our body stores sugar in our liver. And, you know, kind of once you go on a really low-calorie diet, your body, before it starts burning muscle and, and fat, it uses up all that sugar that's stored in your liver. So the reason that's important is to do the operation, you know, the, the liver sits on top of your stomach. So I actually have to be able to pick the liver up and get it out of the way to do the operation on the stomach. So we want to get all of that 
sugar and water out of your liver so that the liver is lighter and easier to be moved for the operation. So that's the reason for the two-week preoperative diet. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Um, so how long after the surgery will I have to be off from work? It, the answer is it depends. I mean, it depends on what kind of work you do. I mean, I've had patients that, you know, work from home or have a desk job and, you know, hey, maybe three or four days. Um, but I've had patients that are police officers or, you know, whatever. And, hey, that's probably a month. I mean, right. you know, it, it kind of depends on what you have to do. I mean, general recommendations, whether it's bariatric surgery or hernia surgery or gallbladder surgery, I mean, you really should not do any heavy lifting for four weeks or anything strenuous for four weeks. And that's just to prevent you from getting a hernia, you know, at one of the, the incision sites. Um, so if you do strenuous work, uh, that's four weeks. But most people don't, you know, most people have, you know, jobs that don't require heavy lifting. Um, I generally tell people plan for a week. Um, you know, be prepared for two just in case you're in that five to ten percent of patients that kind of have a little more nausea or just you know don't jump back quite as quickly but uh for most people a week or so if they have a low intensity job okay um so how soon uh can i start exercising after the surgery well um you know walking um we really want you walking as soon as you go home just mm -hmm. around the house and things but you know, if you're talking going out in the neighborhood and walking a couple of miles, I'd probably say a couple, two to three weeks. Um, really hitting the gym and doing the strenuous stuff, again, four weeks. Okay, makes sense. Um, so a common thing that a lot of people see after these surgeries is hair loss. Um, is that something that you've seen a lot? Um, and um, is that is there any way to prevent that? Is there any way to treat that? Kind of, and Do we know why that happens? Yeah, I mean, yes, you're going to see it. But when you say hair loss, I mean, I don't want patients to get the idea that it's like they have chemotherapy and all their hair falls out. It's right. not that way. I mean, gotcha. it's just some mild thinning of their hair. Um, you know, um, I we feel like the, the best explanation for that is just, you know, patients are kind of in a, a state of starvation for a few months after surgery. And um, it... it you know, results in some thinning of your hair. I mean, can I tell you the exact physical science behind why that is? Not exactly, but it has to do with, you know, kind of a controlled state of starvation. Um, what can you do to decrease that? I mean, obviously, you know, getting your protein in, getting your vitamins in. Um, I mean, there's a lot of, I hear patients asking about, you know, supplements and things they can take for it. And I'd usually tell them, great, go for it. Um, you know, there may not be research out there that proves they work, but it, it's not going to hurt. Um, but I, I wish I could tell patients that if you do A, B, and C, you're not going to have any thinning of your hair, but I cannot do that. I mean, it, it does happen somewhat. Mm -hmm. All right. Are there any post-operative diets that I'm going to have to adhere to? Can I eat whatever I want after I have the surgery? No, you cannot eat whatever you want after you have the surgery. I mean, you can try, um, but you may not be very successful with that. Sure. Um, you know, one of the you know, bariatric surgery is not for everybody. I mean, this is a big commitment. I mean, you really have to commit to dietary modifications and lifestyle changes. Um, and, you know, if you think you're, you know, if you think, hey, I'm going to have this surgery and I'm just going to go back to eating whatever I want. I mean, it, you're not going to have good results. You're going to regain weight. I mean, so the patients that do the best with this are really the ones that, you know, kind of really buy into the dietary modifications mm -hmm. that we, we ask them to make. 
but in general, um, everybody's a little different. Um, I've seen different experiences with different patients, but in general, things that are greasy, things that are sweets, uh, sugary things, you're probably not going to tolerate very mm-hmm. well. I mean, and which what I mean is you're going to eat them and you're either going to get really nauseated or just not feel well. Um, it, I, I think the best way to put it is the operation kind of forces you to eat things that are more healthy, things that sure. we should all probably be eating anyway, you know, sure. quite frankly. Yeah. But Yeah. So you mean I, I can't get the surgery and go out and get a Big Mac, Dr. Vaughn? Come on. I, I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> I would not recommend that. Um, all right. No, no. I mean, and that's something you should know before. Mm-hmm. I mean, your your Big Mac days are going to be done after sure. this. Sure, yeah. sure. Tragic for some people, yeah, I'm sure. right. <laughs> um, so can I go off of some or all of my medications related to my obesity after the weight loss surgery? Uh, it, it depends. Um, everybody's a little different on that. Um I kind of go by disease state a little bit with diabetes. Um, it depends. I mean, if you've been a uh, if you've been a diabetic for less than ten years, there's a very high chance that you could go off all your diabetes meds, and that has to do with how the longer you're a diabetic, the less your pancreas works. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you know, I see patients that come in sometimes they've been diabetic for 25 years and they're just now being told they should consider bariatric surgery. And it kind of frustrates me because it's like, we should have done this 20 years ago when yeah. you were less than 10 years into being a diabetic. We could have cured your diabetes. Um, but that's not to say that the patient that's been a diabetic for 25 years shouldn't consider surgery. I mean, usually the patient that's been a diabetic longer, even though you may not get off all your diabetes meds, for example, if you're on insulin, well, we might be able to get you off insulin, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, or we might be able to drastically reduce the amount you're on or incredibly improve your A1C. So there, there's there's a lot of benefits for that. Uh, high blood pressure is another one I'm asked about. Um, a lot of patients are able to reduce their uh, high blood pressure medication dosage after bariatric surgery. But I also make the comment that there are a lot of really thin people walking around out there with high blood pressure. So mm-hmm. it's not that that's not something that's only based on your weight. So it, everybody's a little different on that. Cholesterol, same thing. I mean, there, you know, it could improve your cholesterol medication dosages or need for it, but I can't guarantee that you would be totally off of it. Um, those are, those are kind of the big ones. Okay. Um, any, anything that you've had a particular question about as far as medical conditions? No, or, I think no? you, I think you covered it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so something that is, uh, is, I don't know how common it is, but it's something that's kind of mentioned in, in post-op when it comes to bariatric surgery is alcohol. Mm. Is alcohol something I should avoid? Um, am I going to have adverse reactions to consuming alcohol after I have this surgery? So the answer is yes. Alcohol is something you should avoid for a time period. Um, and I'm going to be very upfront with you and tell you why that is, um, it's recommended by you know ASMBS, the major society that governs you know, the, you know, all the bariatric surgeons are under the umbrella of the ASMBS. Um, their recommendation is to not consume alcohol for a year after surgery. Okay. Well, what's the reason for that? I mean, it's not that if you have a drink of alcohol, it's going to mess your surgery up and you know, you're know you going to have some catastrophe from that. It's not what that is. It's more about addictive behavior. Um a lot of times patients that are, you know, morbidly obese or having bariatric surgery, you know, sometimes it's a food addiction kind of thing. And the fear is that if, you know, you don't have that crutch any longer, if you go start having alcohol too soon, you might 
develop alcoholism. So that that the recommendation is waiting a year uh, okay. for that reason. I mean, a year is kind of a long enough time period that you kind of you know settled out and and kind of comfortable with how things are going and, mm-hmm. and you know that's the reason for that recommendation. So it's more psychological. It's more it psychological. Is. Yes. Sure. Right. I mean, and that makes sense um, because it is for for many people. It's it it's physiological for some. It's mental for others. You know. Obesity is a disease states with a lot of different causes. So, right. um, so how long, if, if I were a woman, how long should I wait after having bariatric surgery before considering getting pregnant? At least a year. At least a year. Um, and I'm, t- I'm telling you, I've, over the years, I've probably run into this three or four times, um, you know, three months after surgery, whoops, I got, you know, I'm pregnant and, the, and it's a, it's a, it, it's a problem because, you're not really able to eat enough at that time to have a healthy pregnancy. So um, that's the concern. I mean, you know, once you get a year, 18 months out from surgery, you're, you know, you're able to handle pregnancy just fine. It's not a problem. I mean, tons of people actually have weight loss surgery because they have infertility issues. I mean, I see that a lot. Patients with uh, PCOS, um, weight loss improves that and is able to help them get pregnant many times. But what you kind of most commonly see is, you know, the patient that, you know, we, we recommend you need to practice some sort of birth control for the first year after surgery, and they may not do that. And um, sometimes that's kind of how that happens. And one of the reasons for that is they, they may feel like, hey, I've never really been able to get pregnant, and mm-hmm. so I've never needed it. And, well, suddenly you lose a fair amount of weight, and now you're more fertile, and mm-hmm. whoops. So yeah. uh, it's it's really important for patients to be on contra- or some sort of birth control for a year after surgery. For Makes reason. sense. Makes sense. So that covers our uh, frequently asked questions. So I want to go ahead and uh, thank you, Dr. Vaughn, for being on the podcast and uh, talking with me about this topic. And uh, I want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in today. I hope you found this informative and interesting and that it has answered all of your burning questions about what I consider to be a very fascinating surgery. You can learn more about the surgical services we offer by visiting hhc.org surgery. The link will be in the description below. If you want to see more of Hashtag Houston HealthCast, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. We post episodes here before anywhere else and hit the notification bell so you never miss an episode. If you prefer listening to your podcast elsewhere, you can find us on other podcasting channels in the description below. We have a one more episode coming out this year, and we've got more coming up next year. Next one is going to be Holiday Health and Safety. Um, that's going to be with Dr. Iguabadia. We're excited to have her on. She's a pediatrician. We're going to talk about how to keep your you know kids safe during the holidays and some things you can do to, to be proactive about that. Is there anything else you'd like to share, uh, Dr. Vaughn? No, thank, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure to be here. If I can help any of you guys out in any way, please let me know. Sure, absolutely. Thank, thank you for you. being on. Uh, and I hope everyone out there has a great rest of your day. And remember to stay hashtag house and healthy. Mm-hmm.